So today we have a special guest with us today, a friend of the centers. He's been a friend of mine for a few years now and he's helped us with a n number of our events, uh, particularly our weekend orientation. Um, we have uh, Mr. Dave Jones from Turtle Concepts, so thank you for coming today. Thanks for inviting me. Just like as always, you know, this is the conversation, so we're going to just kind of go a little bit deep dive into Dave's, a uh, little bit about his life story and his current works that he does with uh, Indigenous people. And so, can you just tell me a little bit about your upbringing? I'm David Jones, Bujou David Jones Dijnakaz, Kitiganzi B, Donjaba. So I'm from the Garden River First Nation. I'm of the Loon clan, so that's Mong Dodem. And... Uh, my Anishinaabe and Nozawin, uh, my spirit name is Turtle, hence the name of my company, Turtle Concepts. I was raised in my uh, home reservation, uh, which neighbors the city of Sault Ste. Marie, so I'm about three lip points away from uh, London. <laughs> so that's where, it, that's where it all started. Yeah. Um, so can you just tell me about your life uh, um, growing up in Garden River? Sure. I was, uh, I'm the second oldest of four children and born to my parents. Uh, my mom comes from the neighboring reservation of, of Batchewana First Nation, where she was raised on the Rankin Reserve, and they have three separate components of their uh, First Nation, and my dad from the Garden River First Nation. So uh, we grew up in the main part of the village and then moved to another area as children, and uh, it was, I think, typical to First Nation stories that people say, although my parents made a brand new story for us. So... Uh, my mom was a teen mom with my dad, and uh, she had four of us children, and then she lost her first child, so I'm the third of my mom and dad, but uh, our first eldest of she passed. Um, my mom was too young to have kids, and she was a teen mom, so we, uh, we, we all grew up knowing how great we were. I don't know how or what my parents knew, but they just knew who who we were as indigenous people our whole life so i've never never had that doubt that other people may have had you know but this is my truth this is my story and uh, i always grew up proud um i'm very proud of garden river first nation we're like the rest you know we're all kinds of dynamics but i grew up with my language i grew up with my culture i grew up with strong values and it was really cool for us growing up because dad was catholic and mom was traditional and my mom connected the dots all the time. And dad said, listen to your mom. Whatever she says sounds cool. You know, so we grew up connected. We didn't grow up doubting. We didn't grow up knowing what was there because my mom made sure she understood our maturity and she didn't want us to grow up lacking pride. She didn't want us to grow up lacking um, identity. So we didn't know what was going on in our family. We just knew that we were good people. And I, I think it was really, really interesting. As we aged, we started to see other dynamics. So... There was, back in that time, there was the religions battling. What was evil, what was not, and we didn't know that because we didn't see that in our home. Many others have, but in our home, mom loved dad and we went to church, and dad loved mom and we went to ceremony. So there was never a disconnect in our home. My mom said, people gotta learn how to connect the dots. So holy water was respect the water. Smudge was no different than using incense at the church. And she says, it's all, you know, symbols of getting the message to the Creator, God. And we had the priest over on Sunday for dinners, and we went and had the medicine man over on Saturdays, you know. So we grew up with a different version of identity from many, but it worked for us. And my siblings and I, um, 
we've always been proud and this is how we were allowed to look and how to be and you know kudos to my mom for because she's a foster child her her parents were not in a good way like you know um her dad came from europe her mom was Nishnabe, right from our res and so we do acknowledge that we have some non-native ancestry but we're proud of that too you know we're not embarrassed of what our bloodlines are that that's who we are like you know so it was really interesting growing up with a person who was wise, I guess, in what a true identity is. <clears throat> um, it was not easy growing up as the fair one in my family. My eldest sister's a little bit darker. My little sister was a little bit darker, much like yourself, Daniel, but she had a disease called vitiligo, and it's where you lose your skin pigment. So I was the fairest one of all in my family, and we played on that, you know, I was the mailman's kid, according to the res, my grandma's aunties, they made light of who my dad was, you know, and it caused identity struggles for me because I thought, am I not daddy's kid, you know, because I was fair. But my mom said, oh, stop. She said, it's just people fooling around. So it was way back when I was a kid that I started looking at even some of my Turtle Concepts foundations, like identity, just kidding and what that could cause in a person. and. Um, my mom just validated me all the time and said, you're, 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 you're Anishinaabe, you're Ojibwe. Back then, we were allowed to call ourselves Indian because that was the term, you know. So yeah. when people say to me today, well, we're not Indian. Well, I know I'm not from India, but just like the ABCs, they start at A. So that's what was told to me when I was a little boy. So now I, I think I'm First Nation, Anishinaabe, uh, Aboriginal, Original, indigenous. Uh, indigenous. Like I don't even know. I can't keep up with all my yeah. new titles, but I know who I am and my parents really gave us Solid, solid, solid foundations. And it was never about disconnecting. It was, you are a part of the bigger picture. And this is how we walk in our family. You know, and um, I went through, you know, situations on res, um, from res. I've never been discriminated in the non-native world. Because my mom said to us, you need to have good skills. You need to feel good about who you are to go out into the world as an indigenous person. So she taught us good skills. Manners were not an option, it was mandatory. Um, cleanliness was not an option, it was mandatory. And often they referred to my mom as the warden in Garden River because she was so strict with what she did. But there was so much love behind her routines and her boundaries and her communication that we, we didn't grow up angry at the world. We're like, mm, cool, the world's pretty cool. So we had a really great foundation and for myself, being loud and middle child, I need all this attention, you know. So I was able to milk that in a good way to say, how do we get mom and dad's teachings of survival on the res into something that I never wanted to be this, but it's certainly come as it is. And I, I, I wanted to be a teacher, and I knew that as a little boy I wanted to be a teacher. So that, that's where it started, and it was so cool. But it was different for lots of people back home. So kind of going, touching back a little bit on your, your parents, you obviously have a yeah. big part of your life. Um, and so for most people, they would look at you and assume that like you, you guys had it made and you guys yeah. You know, came from uh, privileges. Yeah. Was that always the case with you guys, or, or, or was there some history with your family too, or your parents, like their upbringing, that they had to deal with some trauma and things like that? And oh and yeah, like your mom. You know, you said she she portrayed this message that you guys were awesome and that you need to be awesome as indigenous people. I think I think both of my parents went through classic examples of what was the generation of that time. So my mom's situation, being a foster child, adopted out, alcoholic. Um, violence, uh, standard things that people are aware of. 
my mom just kept saying, it's my job as a mother to change this. And my dad said, he came from some interesting things as well. Our family is riddled with diabetes. We've had suicide, we've had struggle, alcoholism, drugs. And my mom had this way, and I know it's not camera um, perfect, but she, she would say like, you can't make your shit someone else's shit, you gotta deal with it. So we turned that into don't make your baggage someone else's because they, they don't know what you're coming from. So my parents' struggles were processed by them really well and communicated to us and this is how you change it. So my mom and dad would always say to us, we're the toilet paper of what we've been through and watch what comes out and it'll be fresher, it'll be nicer. And you know, my mom always used very raw, typical res examples. Bees are not attracted to shit, they're attracted to flowers. So sweeten it up a little bit and watch what happens. So that's all we knew. Uh, my mom never told us of all the drama negatively. She said people were struggling, people didn't know what to do with stuff, they didn't know how to make solutions, but we will learn how to make solutions. So when I saw family members struggling as a little boy, five, six, seven, eight, and we saw too much, like many, we knew that something had to be done to change it up. And my mom would give examples like, if there's a tree blocking the driveway, what are you gonna do, stop? Or are you gonna move the tree, walk around the tree, cut the tree up and pile it into wood? do something about it, get to a solution mind. So that's all we knew growing up. So the struggles of our family never became my own struggle where I was burdened with strife or drama or grief. It was like, oh, how do you fix that? You know, so I, I really didn't know until I was in my teens when I started to understand, oh, geez, the separation, uh, identity, church, uh, all these different things. I didn't know... Uh, what was going on there. And I mean, it's wonderful for me and how it, it came to be because I think that's what I tried to bring into my work was, do we want to focus on the struggle and the problem or do we want to acknowledge the struggle and the problem and say, what did you do about it? Or what do you need to do? Or what can I do? And you know, I think my parents were excellent examples of how to overcome, but also acknowledging. And I think that's what elders want in children and youth today. They, they need you to know where you come from. So I totally know what I come from, but I don't want to look like what I come from. Yeah. I'm allowed to make that improve. I'm allowed to make that better. And that's what I tried to do when I opened my company, when I became a school teacher. I wanted to teach better, not highlight the past. How about take a look at now, look back at the past, and then let's get to the future and make it better, make it brighter. And so it seems like your parents laid a great foundation for you, right? And so that's the thing that I think a lot of us in education that try to strive for is trying to teach, we're trying to give kids that idea of like creating that, if they didn't come from a good situation, like creating, they can be the certain point of that foundation that leads to good things for their family. Um, and then like you said, you know, you talked about how you don't, you don't, look, you don't have to look a certain way and all that. And so when most people would look at you, like you said, they wouldn't assume you have all these know traditional teachers behind you but you in course you did you said your mother was traditional your father was Catholic um, so well there wasn't even um, there wasn't even a category to it back then it was just yeah. called a way of life yeah. and now we're using words like Bamadzawin and you know grandfather teachings and the Wampanoag those were all brought up in my life my whole life because I was fair-skinned and light-haired I always thought I was Mohawk and my mom's like, well, that's cool. Like you're identifying with something, you know? And then when I met some Mohawk people, I was so pleasantly happy because 
oh, there's someone like me who's light-skinned and fair-haired, whatever. So you kind of feel connected. And that's what my mom wanted us to do. Make sure you feel connected to something because when you disconnect, you kind of can get lonely. And I felt connected. So when those Mohawk people came to my territory in Garden River, I connected big time. My first drum was a water drum. My first songs were Mohawk songs. I was like, it's all good. Whatever it is, I'll take it. You know, I'm not going to sit there and say, that's not my way. Who wants to be negative when you, when you, when you know your heritage, whatever that be, it should be a good thing to be proud of. And why be, why be reminded only of the negatives of our struggles and our story as Indigenous people? Let's find the positives in there now and put some push on that. So you grew up with, uh, you know, as you say, your dad was just your way of living life, right? Yeah. Um, and so uh, with education, was education always a, uh, a pathway for you growing up? Or was that like, was that something your parents instilled in, in you and your siblings? Was that, you know, to, in order to get somewhere in life, you need that education behind you? Uh, education was not even an option. It was mandatory. And my mom did it tenderly at times, but then other times she did it very um, strict. And we knew what education could do for us. My parents didn't have much because of their situations. My dad had grade seven, my mom had grade eight. But they knew education was a helper to more. And whether it was traditional education where we went in the bush and we cut wood, hunted, snared, um, fished, etc., or we went to school and learned about the other world, you know, the new world, we'll say, my mom just connected and my dad always said it's cool like how your mom can do these things and education like i said it it was exciting for us my mom came to the school all the time my dad was with her and my dad's that strong nishnabe man when he was living you know he was strong nishnabe and proud but he didn't have the wisdom that my mom had to teach it to the kids so he kind of like thumbs up on the side you know like got it going liz you do it up well you know listen to her and in our family, we always said mom raised, you know, five wonderful kids, Cheryl, Bunny, David, and Dan, and dad. Because dad didn't have that same, um, he didn't have that same upbringing, but school was our way to reinvent our history. And we have a history in our family of minimal education, not many opportunities, but good people. So we were able to enhance our individual family and take it to the next level. So all my siblings have post-secondary education. We all went through high school right from no dropouts, no nothing. It was just normal for us to get school. Like we knew in grade eight what our career was. And it was before the trends to go to school, stay in school, all these initiatives. And we were just like, why wouldn't you stay in school? Like, why don't you want to go to college or university? Like, I know where I'm going. I know where I'm trying to get to. What marks are needed to get to this institution? What do I need to do to get to that program? So. You know, my mom and dad were phenomenal because they didn't make it like a task or a chore. It's like, so where are you going? What are you going to do? And they're like, well, I want to go to this school. I want to be this, you know. So it was, it was always exciting for us to think what we could do. And when we went to schools, because I was the only Indigenous person in my high school, I wasn't embarrassed. I was always proud to be Nishnabe and people would ask me and I was like, yep, uh, from the res, like, you know, I, I was conscious of what they could think, but it's like, what's to be embarrassed of? I have a home, you have a home, I have food, you have food, I have clothes, you have clothes. So I didn't, I didn't get raised carrying heavy burdens or heavy challenge or heavy struggle. I got raised with excitement. Mm -hmm. Now, um, with that, you said kind of talk about, you know, it was 
mandatory for you. Yeah. Um, so you, can you tell me a little bit like life in high school, growing up, and then going off to university? What was like? What? How did you prepare for it? Um, even like maybe things like your your mother prepared you. I, I guess I'm kind of alluding to this. Like I remember you from hearing stories and how your mother <laughs> made you guys safe for school and all oh. this stuff. Like even part of that, right? Teaching you those skills of like, like the economics of everything and needing yeah. saving towards it. Well, my mom's favorite line that she used all these. Uh, trendy, um, I don't know what you even call them, like mottos, like no one keeps you for nothing, you know, and, and if they do, take us all with you kind of thing, you know, and if someone's going to jump off the bridge, are you going with them? So we always had to double think, like, what is she trying to tell us? And uh, we had to pay rent in grade seven when we got a job. <laughs> and I was like, um, and, I, and I was a little bit more bold than my siblings. And I was like, well, you shouldn't have had us then. Like you're making us pay rent, like good gosh. You know how, like it's not my job if you are amorous with dad, why am I paying for it, you know? And so we had some intellectual banter at very young ages and uh, it was my mom's way of teaching us. This is how you do a goal, this is what you need to do to get there and it starts today. Can't wait, my mom always said, you can't wait till you're 25 and 35 and 45 to get started. It needs to start now. So my mother's methods, as strict as they were to others, were all we knew. Yeah. So it was to put money away, have a wonderful home, have a goal, get it done. We don't have all day, we have one chance, get it done. So we did what she said and we put money away. Um, I worked at McDonald's, like, you know. <laughs> she did these things that I think are true indigenous, but boy, they look rough. You know, like if we didn't brush our teeth, then we went down to the lake because we had a lake in the backyard and she said, well, you're too lazy to turn the tap, so get down to the lake and go brush your teeth. <laughs> so we'd go down there when we didn't brush our teeth properly with the tap water and we'd go down there, then we missed the bus. Then she said, well, now you missed the bus, so now you have to hitchhike. And we were like the goody two-shoe kids. We were like, all right, because we didn't turn on the tap and we missed the bus and now we have to hitchhike and we don't know how to hitchhike because we're those goody two-shoe kids, so what are we doing? So. Now we all love to brush our teeth. We never hitchhike. We make sure we utilize what's present and get it done right first. There's no second chance on that. And maybe to some they might find that OCD or maybe they find that like um, overambitious, but it made for an easier life. You know, and her technique, I questioned like all my siblings did, but the result of the technique was totally indigenous. You know, and, and, and we always knew there was love in there. Was it as tender as I wanted? I don't know, I'd sweeten it up a little bit, but we got it done, yeah. you know? And I think, I think my mom did the best she could with what she knew. And my dad said, that sounds better than what I had. So let's just do it and see how it works. And it worked out really well for us, you know? So our skill sets, our ambition, our taking initiative, it comes from those childhood rearing practices that my mom gave us and... What some people would call teachings now, right? uh, Yeah, they called them teachings, but my mom says, uh, all parents that she knows did the best they could with what they knew. Mm -hmm. And I'm real fortunate my parents knew quite a bit. And the better part of that is my mom knew how to teach it. There's people who tell, my mom knew how to teach it and she made us demonstrate the action as opposed to telling me what an action looked like.
I think your mother would be happy to hear that your house is always very clean now. And everything yeah. Well, my mom now tells me not to wash the counter so much. You know, she's like, okay, like, take a break. Like, you know, <laughs> good gosh. But I mean, I like, because I live a hectic life with my work, and I like coming home to a clean home where I don't have to come in and work first. I just want to get up, fix my bed in seconds. My mom did these crazy things to us, so my bed is always fixed the second I get out of it. It takes me minutes. And her points were truth. Like, I couldn't, I, I tried. Like, I really tried as a kid to challenge her on things, and she'd be like, that's not negotiable. She said, like, no, no, we always fix our beds. You know, and I'd be like, and she had excellent rationales. I was like, and I would say to her, oh, you win again. And she said, well, there's no prize. She said, the prize is you have a clean bed, you come home, you can go play longer. You know, if you do everything right first, you have a good time, so why rebuttal? But I think it's anchored in the confidence they gave us. Because if we did something good, they validated it. And the second you hear you've done something well, you get these happy chemicals. So when, they, when you feel loved, when you know, it helps. And considering what we've come from, in terms of family history and all that stuff, oh my, my gosh, my parents did wonderful for us. Yeah, and I think, uh, Kind of what you just talked about there, like those chemicals that happy feel. We, we, we sat in on a, a thing a while back at a conference and it was like, and he talked about that, right? It's like that idea of like how you can jump in any time to kind of expand on more, but it's like the idea of like, if you don't have happy memories, because the way it's, it's, you know, we talk about like, we need to create, the, we need to end this vicious cycle, yeah. right? This, this trauma-based cycle. But the thing is like, you can't just, you can't blanket cover and say like, oh, we're going to do this and I'll fix because that's actually not how the brain works, right? right. And, and for you guys, you guys were instilled with good memories, which like, so when you're down, you can rely on those good memories. But right. if you don't have good memories and you don't, and you don't feel good, but then someone's like, well, if you do this, it'll make you feel better. But no, that's not the case. That's not how it works chemically. Well, we, right? like, we didn't, we were not taught to be pitiful. Yeah. We were taught our power our connection, our identity, all the way through. And it had nothing to do with your color, had nothing to do with what you were wearing. It was internal. And when we knew that, because of how mom and dad allowed it to, to grow, what a wonderful thing. And I, I really hope others start to understand the need for happy memories, the need to connect to positivity, as opposed to drowning in, in a legacy. It sometimes gets a little bit burdensome. You know, so for me, I've, I've tried to adopt the great teachings that were given to me by so many people. And, you know, people are referencing these historical figures who were amazing. Well, those were my mom and dad's friends. Like, I didn't know they were amazing people. I kind of was like, ah, not more elders. Ah, another circle. Ah, like, you know, it's like, I'm a little ADHD kid and now I got to go listen again, you know, to teachings and prophecies. And, you know, prophecies could be scary. And I was like, oh my gosh, like... I'm like six, I'm eight, like, you know, like, holy heck, but my mom would give me the old Nishnabe look, like, ooh, you're going to get it when you get home, because I was so hyper, but I was like, I'm ready for more, and I think right now, there are a lot of young people ready for more, and it's maybe those elders, those adults who didn't have it so well that have to be retaught how to, to get to well, and I'm trying to do that because I was ready for more as a young kid, and I've tried to do more all along. And that's not bad. So now, going a little bit further now, uh, we started with, uh, you know, all the things that leading up to it. So where did you go for post-secondary? And, you know, what did you, what was your, your, your envision for yourself when you were growing up of what you wanted to do? And Well, in high school, I knew I wanted to be a school teacher. I thought, 
I know my ABCs, I can count to 100, I know my shapes, got most of the colors, at least the basic ones, you know, I thought, I could be a kindergarten teacher, I can sing, I can dance, how easy is that? That'd be the easiest freaking job. And we've always had boarding students in our home from remote northern communities, so I want to go north because I like to fish, I like to hunt, I like hockey. So being a teacher, which is easy, knowing the land, I won't be afraid of mosquitoes, I'm gonna go north and become a teacher, so, I started to prep to become a teacher. I also thought about being a pharmacist because I wanted to help, I knew that. What was going to be the easiest was my plan. Yeah. Teaching sounded easy, so I... Uh, Which is like a standard thing for most yeah. native people is they, they want a job where they help people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I don't know, it's, we're kind of conditioned that we have to help, <laughs> you know, like, so here I am, ready to, ready to do as told. And uh, I came here uh, to London, Ontario, to Western University, and had some success with that. I, I looked into social work, I looked into psychology, but I, I felt something was missing there. And maybe it was because of all these teachings and all these circles and all these conferences that I attended, but sociology attracted me. And I, I immediately remember connecting to the words structural functionalism, symbolic, int symbolic interaction, like all these things. I think, oh my God, that's like my mom, but, but more technical. Yeah. So I did that. I. Um, got my degree in sociology. I also attended at Algoma University and then I went on to even next to become a teacher at the Faculty of Education at Nipissing University. And it was just like, I don't know, Oprah calls it an aha moment. And I'm like, yeah, for me, there was a connect to how to take what my mom calls teachings, which she didn't even call teachings. It was called, this is how you raise your children because you should want it better, you should want more, you should, if you come from crap, you want to make it better. So I took all those experiences, threw them into my degree undergraduate, and then put it into a teaching degree, and then it made for an amazing post-secondary experience for me. Um, I all obviously had to share a lot with people that, yes, I'm Indigenous, you know, yes, I'm Nishnab, and there was always that, like, are you for real? It's like, well, yes, this is how some of us look. Like, you know, <laughs> if media only puts out the long-haired, dark-haired historical figure, then of course people are going to question this side. Mm -hmm. Then I have to show people this is the updated picture. And there's a lot of us. You know, maybe we don't get on camera enough, but we're, we're there. We exist. Did, did, uh, did things like this exist when you were in school, like uh, Indigenous centers or First Nation centers or anything like that? Well... No, I don't think so, but our First Nation had school counselors who came in and tried, but in my, my high school experience, they would say, what all Indigenous, they didn't say Indigenous because it was different, but what all Native students come down to the cafeteria for a special presentation. But I was the only one in the school, so then I would show up and be like, well, we're all here, like, you know, it's just me. So there I'd be with the presenter and listening and learning and then, I remember when I went to Western because I had dyed my hair blonde with my, my residence, you know, and I went to a native center there that they were starting and people said, well, this was for indigenous people. And I was like, <laughs> well, I am like, you know, like I, I don't want to look historical all the time. Yeah. I think there's a time and a place, but when you're young, there's trends, there's things that go and let people be young, but let them have strong over here. We had such a strong heart of who we were that it didn't care how we looked. You know, and then people would be shocked that we knew a lot about our ancestries. Like, I don't look like I know about my ancestry, but I do. Because it's over here. That's all we knew as a kid. It was over here. It wasn't this. Because if I look here first, I'm going to make a lot of mistakes.
If I go over here and connect, it's going to be easy. And this thing will take over and say, oh my gosh, this makes the connection real, right? So th there, there, were, there weren't these services specifically to my recollection, but they started to come because people knew we needed something. We knew there were a variety of levels coming in in people where some were really sound and some didn't know. So they started to fight for more and, and hence you've seen more of these services pop up and then people gravitated to them if they needed them. I myself didn't need them all the time and always found myself having to defend myself when I went in there like, yes, I'm native, yes, I have a status card, here's proof, you know, here's my address. And I was like, you know, that, that was a little bit challenging when you have to prove yourself to your own because of your skin color or because of your actions. And I've always been talking, I've always been excited. My mom said, that's how we can be. So I'm going to be my real self for the remainder of my life and all of my life. And I think that's a message that has to come forward to young people, to be your real self. And if they can't handle it, well, then they need to go get some services. But I want to be my real self all my life. And I think that's cool for me because I get to. And it's, uh, it's, it's easier to sleep. And so then after all this, you, you went to school and everything, so you, you ended up with your teacher degree. And so what did you do with it after that? Well, I went north because I love the north. So I was up in Moose Factory. I was teaching 65 senior kindergartens, which was like, oh my gosh. And uh, I knew so many people there from years anyway. And it was a wonderful experience. I loved my kids. There was a lot of, ah, you know, and a lot of ever good me or sick you. And I was like, you guys are crazy. Like, it's crazy fun. And um, I was calling Goose, you know, whirp, 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 whirp. and I was like, am I tribe? We don't do that. Yeah. We hate geese. They come to your beach and you're like gross. And it's like, get the freak out of here. Got to invite some crees down, you know, and call the group here kind of thing. But I loved my teaching experience. But I knew immediately when I became a teacher that some of us are really good and get what teaching is for kids. And our people have been through a journey and I knew that some of the teachers had a different way of trying to get kids to more and I saw that that failed sometimes. So I started to do extra things where there was more happiness, more excitement, more real to the situation. And I've always known as being a former school teacher that on the res they can act more confident, more silly, more crazy because they feel at home, they feel comfortable. But that sometimes when they went off there was a little bit of fear, there was a little bit of how do we act here. So my mom would talk about the city mouse versus the country mouse. And that really meant res or off res. So when you're on the res, you can act your real self and you know hunting and you know all these things that we do on the res. And there's like res hockey, there's res baseball, there's res bingo, there's res stuff. But then you go to the outside world, you're like, ooh, how do we act here? Like, you know, my mom said, there's no difference. So in our home, <laughs> in the day, they, they, they always kind of call us like, you act white. And I was like, nope, it's called manners. <laughs> you know, it's called clean home. It's, I, I don't know what you mean by res, you know. It's not just the res, it's my home. And my home will always be amazing. My heart will always be amazing. My pride, my identity. So I, I loved teaching, but I knew someone had to get to another way of thinking. And I thought, my mom and dad didn't like it, but I thought maybe I could help others get to a, a happier spot. So was there, was there some kickback for how you are? Like you obviously have a big personality. I always describe you as the sun, right? You always want to be around the sun. You want to feel the sun everything. So when you were teaching and then you kind of seen that there was a, uh, a wholeness in terms of what that, that connection of getting kids to this point. But was it, 
also like a pushback from other people that you worked with and colleagues and stuff that were like saying like oh, they yeah. almost try to be like that idea of like like you oh you're too much like you know you like you I was always even, over the top yeah, yeah. you know and I was over the top but my mom had taught us to make negatives into positives the little train that thinks he can and I knew I could you know so I just thought why can't I be this happy excited ADHD over the top Nishnabe mom says sure you can but she also protected us into how others might not know that version. So I knew, and when I got my second uh, spirit name, I was called the turtle. Yeah. And the turtle knows when to be safe. So it goes inside its shell when it's unsafe. And when it's safe, it comes out and it moves along slowly. Now I feel like I'm an ADHD turtle. Like, Let's get her done. You know, but I think back to my name all the time. And I think, okay, some people need a safer place, but I felt safe when I came home to be my real self. So there were kickbacks all the time. I can, I can go on and on about people saying, you, you always got to have all the tension, you don't shut up, uh, you're always, you know, got to be the, the center of attention. It's like, no, but sometimes when you have a vibrant personality and you like who you are, you're just going to command attention because it's kind of contagious. And I think there's like, uh, there is like that unfortunate thing of like that, that oh, you always try to be this, but like, at the end of the day, I always look at it as like, who benefits from it? Like, or who, who's, who's being, in, who's feeling the effects? And there's no one, but who's benefiting from it? And it's the kids, right? Yeah. And at the end and of I the day, think that's like, from me, like how they say, oh, you're always doing this, but were the kids ever the ones to be like, oh, you're too much, like, I don't like it. Like, no, yeah. mm -mm. I think I'm a representation of some kids like me when I sat, I looked for, where's the, the native person that's like me? You know, and I saw stoic, I saw totem posts, historical pictures, residential school photos, and I thought, gosh, is there any happy ones? Yeah. You know, and everything looked so strong and so stoic, and I was like, what about woo? You know, and when I went to ceremony, I was kind of excited, but then I was watching others, and they were saying it's so calm, and so, boujou, Dave Jones, dish and a cause. And I was like, boujou, Dave Jones, dish and a cause, and it all kind of like stop and look, and I was like, well, what, I'm excited. You, you said to, to be yourself, and culture's gonna bring you all this good stuff, so why can't I be excited about it? And I see that all my whole life, where there's others like me who, maybe they need a leader like that to be their real self. And then some of us maybe need to follow every now and then, but I just knew I was allowed in my home to be my real self, but it didn't mean everybody else understood it. You know, I was over-eager, ambitious, um, just the things that are good values and people would question them all the time. And a lot of times they called me white and I wouldn't deny that I have some non-native heritage. What is born, bred and raised on the res, I asked my mom often, why didn't you identify with your white side of your culture? She says, well, I was living on the res, I was adopted by Nishnabe people. So like, there's no color on behavior, she said. When people put color to a behavior, she says that that's gonna be different than our home. We're just gonna be good people. And my mom never said, and my dad, they never said, you'd be good five days a week and two days be mean. You know, be proud two days and five days be helpless. You're always in a good spot. So when you have that come to you as a kid, it makes a big difference. And when people tried to challenge me, to knock me down, doesn't mean I didn't get emotional. I cried a lot because um, I kept thinking, is there something wrong with me? Because I like life. I like school my whole life. I like people. I like culture. I like things. And I thought, why are they trying to tell me that this is not okay? 
And my mom and dad would all say, it's okay. My dad, you know, typical res, he's like, okay, that's enough now, like, you know. Yeah. And, um, but I mean, they wanted their kids to feel safe, yeah. but they knew it wasn't safe sometimes to be what they were telling us was a good way. Mm -hmm. And I think that's most parents today, they want their kids to have more. Yeah. My parents were with it right from my birth on. And I think that's how we made the decisions we made, but we went home to love, we went home to safety, we went home to something, but we also ate a lot of pasta, we also ate a lot of rice puffs, we ate a lot of stuff in the beginning because when my mom and dad got married, well, they were shunned by his family because my dad chose to marry a traditional foster child who had some non-native ancestry, so that wasn't cool, but that didn't mean my parents couldn't be loving. And they just had to learn a different way to provide more for us. When you don't have those extended family supports, well, it doesn't mean you can't be successful. Mom said, you'll be amazing. Um, it was really like, for me, it is the truth of what we're talking about today with truth and reconciliation. I don't have much to reconcile in my past and what was happened because we did it nonstop as a child growing up. We knew what was there, but we made sure that we made it better all the time and it's just a habit now it's life from it's not even effort it's just i want to be my good self yeah that was uh for me when we first met that's always i always like thank you for it too like that whole idea of like you talked earlier you kind of got a little bit emotional about it but that idea of like you never felt like you belonged or like, yeah. you always like felt you're ostracized and for well, because the images and yeah. the the ways they were putting forward that we were supposed to be i didn't see myself in there sometimes like oh oh gee oh you know, and I would go to events because my mom dragged us to everything healing. Like, oh my gosh, like, here we go. Other kids are going to play. And we're like, we're going to go heal. You know, we're, go we're going to listen to a speaker. You know, and be like, oh my gosh. Yeah. So there we'd be. Which you know, is ironic is that you heard, like, you listened to, like, some of the, like, the, the top biggest, speakers. The biggest names in, like, in, uh, like, in terms of, like, traditional knowledge. Oh my God. Right? Tom Porter, Ann Jock, Beeman Logan. Like, there were just so many people in our lives that came the and who's, who's list of like yeah and, and, and i didn't know they were who's who just like ah yeah. oh, here again. he goes on again yes i get it you know we gotta be good yes i get it schools are important yes you know so i was real to what my head was doing and my mom said one day you'll figure it all out it's like oh my god well i'm only nine yeah. so do i have to be the dalai lama at nine or can i just be a kid you know but i knew and it did come into play later on in life and it was what helped me get through when those challenges or those comments came that made me doubt myself and said, do I fit here? And I remember like in grade eight, I was kind of done with being a native, especially if it's going to be negative and it's going to be helpless and it's going to be not motivated. That's not who I am. Mm -hmm. That's not what my older sister role modeled. So when she went to high school, she was achieving and doing well. And I thought, I'm going to be like her. So our version of role models in our family was motivation, was inspiration, was kindness, was polite, was bravery. It was seven grandfather children, but we didn't call it that. It was a way of life, and, and it works. Yeah, for me too, it was like it was when we were in that conference like all those years ago where uh, I always just felt like I never fit in in terms of like belonging because A, I'm uh, Oneida and Blackfoot, but I grew up in a community that wasn't, I grew up in a Anishinaabe community and they made sure to let me know like every day yep, that, yep. <laughs> that it wasn't Anishinaabe and from there. So I really struggled too with like that whole idea of like, I don't feel like I fit in and it was like a weird dynamic for me growing up where it was like, I'm like, I'm native, but I don't even feel like I'm native here because yeah. they make sure like not to feel it. But I feel like I am and everything. Um, 
and even just like my viewpoints in the world, like it was always just like almost shunned for like, oh, like you, you shouldn't think like that. And it's like, but like, it's coming from a good place and like I feel like I don't, you know, like the idea, yeah. like, it's like you need to heal more. It's like, well, no, I don't. And it was like. Well, I would tell my mom a lot growing up, like what happens if you're fixed? Yeah. And she didn't know what to say. <laughs> my mom made me go see the medicine man all the time. And I was like, what's wrong with me now, mom? Like, you know, and then I'd go see the medicine man and he'd be like, I'd give him tobacco, do the thing. And then he'd be like, so what's up? It's like, my mom said I need to see you. And we'd kind of giggle and, my, and he'd be like, I was like, well, she thinks I need something. So I don't know what it is. Like, I don't have anything bad going on, but, but he would be no different than what you guys provide you at the center a place to talk if you needed to. Sometimes I probably did need to talk, but I didn't know what I was going to talk about. You know, so it was my mom's way of saying, I love you, I want you to be balanced, I want you to have a place, go see him, and then we'd, we'd talk. And it, and it would be, and I didn't know that that was doctoring, but that is doctoring, that's mental health. Now we have a big word on it, but I went to see the medicine man, we talked, and he says, how's things? And I said, oh, I don't understand my grandma. I don't understand my auntie. Sometimes my mom is like making me overachieving. Like, you know, I got 100 out of 100 on a test and shit, there's room for more. And I'd be like, okay, I got 100 out of 100. Like, uh, and then one time I got 105 out of 100 and she said, there's always room for improvement. I was like, I don't know what else to do, like, you know? So I just kept having to think and think and think and then processing it was the better thing because I knew at the end of the day, it was unconditional love that she was giving me. And she didn't have that. She had conditional love. I love you when, I love you when, even though she knows what happened in her life and her childhood and that, she wanted to make it better. That's the best thing about becoming a parent or becoming a caregiver or being an auntie or a cousin. You should want more for people and I have tried to do that in my company is to give that foundation. So what, was there a singular moment um, why you wanted to develop Turtle Concepts or was it a culminating thing of like, and like all your experience were like, I need to do this or I need to. I don't think there was a singular moment, but I was being asked to go speak to kids. Like, you know, I was doing kindergarten, then I was doing special ed, sorry. And um, I was like, he was like, would you come and speak? And I was like, speak about what? Like, you know, because it was a lifestyle. It wasn't, it wasn't, um, it wasn't a production, you know, and people were kind of like, would you come and talk to, to graduation? Yeah, sure. I, I, I was thinking, aren't there other people like me that know the good, the bad, like, you know? So maybe it was my color, maybe it was my vibrance or my technique, but I'd, I'd been a school teacher, so I just knew in schools and communities there were people like me with a very similar story and we were being misrepresented. So I used my personality. Um, people said you should do this on your own. And I remember uh, a Cree fellow from uh, the James Bay, he said to me, you, have you ever thought about going on your own and opening your company? He's like, who's gonna buy this? I said, I'm not, I'm not what mainstream is suggesting. I'm, I'm off the stream in a, in a different creek kind of thing, you know? And, but it's really fun in my creek, you know? So, <laughs> I did it, I, uh, I retired from teaching and decided to open a company called Turtle Concepts. I asked James Bay Cree, what do you remember the most about me? They said, you're so proud of your heritage, but it was my life story that made me want to be extra proud because I was like proving myself to people. I was like an Avenger having to protect, uh, having to be a warrior, and, but I wanted to be a happy warrior, a smiling one, like, you know, and 
like, come on, I, I, I think the way I was raised culminated into turtle concepts when I said, I can roll this into a better way and teach it in a good way to kids so if they have similar stories of challenge, you'll make your next chapter the best one by your own actions and confidence is critical to that. So I uh, took a bunch of life experiences, made my foundations, which I had written about in grade eight anyway, because I was trying to understand life on the res, and then the real world where I wanted to go and get education and all. And I thought, let's, uh, let's see what we do. So it's turtle concepts and it's ideas I collected from Turtle Island. And I met a lot of people in my life traveling with hockey and sports and conferences and healing and, you know, and stuff. So I could think, oh, I like the way you said that, but I got to do it this way. I like how you're putting that, but that's too deep. The ADHD kids cannot handle that. It's too long. I'll do it this way. Because I would, like, even our, our people, we have such long prayers. And I'm like, hurry up. Can't you just say thank you for everything? Like, good gosh. I can't sit here when you get through the whole long thing. I understand the protocol. I totally get what you're trying to do. But when you have special needs, it's pretty hard to sit for a long, long time. And I would see that in kids, and I thought, someone has to speak up for them in a, in a nice way. Because people are so tender and so needing to be validated and I thought I can talk to elders in a cool way and say oh that was a long one eh you know and they're like Dave you know I was like wow I said like I'm 54 in ADHD and you gotta speed that one up a little bit you know and it's not wrong uh, recipes have improved the ketchup bottle is now plastic and squeezable so why can't we evolve and keep the value keep the core but add some new technique every now and then so that, that's how I got to my company and it's 21 years this year and it's really cool that kids get it and youth get it and elders are wanting to understand it, you know? So what was your hope with, uh, with Tarot Concepts when you started 20 plus years ago? What were, what were your hopes of going forward with the company or what was there a general? <laughs> well, yeah, my first hope was I hope someone books me. Because <laughs> like, you know? what was the reaction from your family also? When you oh no, they were like, you're not Mother Teresa, like what are you trying to do here? You're leaving your teaching job with a great pension and a good union, etc. Like, you're not Mother Teresa. You don't have to save the world. But I knew I had to do something. And in our culture, they're always talking about that. You've got to be mindful of others and care, you know, etc. So I was like, I somehow feel I can do this. And, and it worked. You know, my, my first thing was there was a financial security that I needed to secure and make sure I could work. Then when it went, it went crazy. And I was like, oh my God. And now, 21 years later, is to know that I've impacted some people, that you can be your real self. And there's so many things nowadays, all the uh, sexuality issues, the identity issues. There's so many different things hitting our First Nation Indigenous territories that these kind of conversations I've had for years, and you don't change how you love, you don't change how you respond when you meet a person who's trying to get somewhere else especially if it's in a good spot, and I've just tried to be that. So my goal now is to live a good life, to demonstrate a good life, to show what it can be. And when I have someone say to me, hey, your story's kind of like me, or I'm similar to you, it's to feel that connection. And I have so many connected places all over. And my little brother is awesome. He's 15 years younger, and he always says to me, you don't have to be so humble you are allowed to be excited about what you created. Yeah. And that's those change makers that we talk about, are those warriors who, 
who keep the good stuff. And, and I guess I'm a warrior, but I'm one of those friendly ones. You know, it's like, come on on my team, you know? Like, we're not gonna take over the world, but we're gonna show the world, you know? Yeah. So that optimism has been really good for my personality. And some still don't get it. I just need to get it. And when someone else likes it and they wanna connect to me, I'm really good with that. So in those, uh, those 20 years have, uh, since you've worked with, so, so there's some communities you've probably worked since the beginning. Yep. Have you seen a change in those communities in terms of the youth or, or the direction they've gone? Or is there still like some strangleholds on them that are keeping them well, you, you, No one ever knows their impact when you meet people. But then when you can see it and then they voice it because you've helped them find their voice, oh my gosh, that's so rewarding. Like I've had so many people come forward and tell me stuff like, really? That helped you? You're like, you know, because it could be wearing skinny jeans as an old man. I was like, go ahead. You know, or it could be dyeing my hair. It could be being excited when I go to ceremony. I have elders, like, they get excited about my personality. I was just in Michigan and they were so excited about this wild little turtle, you know, and I was like, well, that's what happens when you feel good. Like, who wants to feel good and look miserable? And it, it goes right to my, what my mom said. Bees are not attracted to crap. You won't find a bunch of bees on a pile of bear poop in the bush, she said. They're going to go to find a flower, it's sweeter, berries. Like, so I've tried to be that and to hear people say, I remember you when I met you, I remember you, I met you here, I met you there. And one piece of information stuck, or more pieces. It's great to have intergenerational excitement occur and I get to hear that often. There's intergenerational trauma, which I'll admit needs to be spoken about too, but we also need to talk about intergenerational excitement. Because when someone makes, say you, you're, you're three generations younger than me practically, when you get excited, that shows me that what I made as a conscious decision impacted somebody. And, he, and you do have a big impact on a lot of people and even that dynamic of like what you talked about, like you have a nice way of talking with the elders, right? And you know, I feel like some people our age, like it's, they hold like, uh, in you know respect level, but then also they're like so afraid that like yeah. the, the elders are just human too, right? And maybe they want a kid around and stuff. And yep. I just think of this past year at Onika when uh, <laughs> we almost got our uh, resident elder Peter yeah, yeah. in a toga. Yeah, had like a, a toga theme party for our, our dinner that night, and you know most people are like, oh, we can't do, you can't do that, yeah. right? And uh, can you just kind of that story a little bit? Because I, I just I think it's well, I've known Peter Bokash since I was a teenager, and I went to these. Um, I don't even know what they call them, but culture camp. Yeah. So we went to culture camp and we learned basket making, how to uh, tan hides, canoeing, and song. And you know, I know I don't look like I went to those, but that was my childhood and my teenagehood. So Peter was there and doing his thing, because he's maybe a, a generation older than me. And uh, so now he sees me and he's known me for whatever, 40 years. And when we were doing this, exciting piece at Onika with the toga party. He's like, why can't we try other cultures? Like, we want them to learn about us, but why can't we embrace theirs too? So I want to be acceptable in the whole world and be proud of who I am and not deny it when people say, so what's your culture? Oh, I'm, I'm Nishnabe. Oh, what is that? You know, so when we asked, come on, Peter, like, you know, let's do this toga party and stuff. I think our elders, because of the situation in their generation, they weren't allowed to maybe have so much fun. Maybe they didn't get to have that opportunity. And because they were fighting to get us more rights and more voice and more um, respect, they had to do that in their way. But now we can help them have fun. And when they do it, you can see them kind of ah, like, I don't know, like, you know, but <laughs> come on, you're almost, get that sheet on, you know. And We almost had him. <laughs> yeah, he did put on 
the green foliage, yeah. like, you know? I just remember being, like, when you were in the room, we were getting ready, and then we were all in there getting ready because you know, I was going to have to do a toga, and then uh, you call up and you're like, Peter, you're going to get down here and put your toga on. Yeah. You can just hear that big belly laugh through the floor. Yeah. You know, just, but for me, I think, like... I uh, think we're overconscious, Daniel, to be honest. I think we're very overconscious of what people will say. And what I say, because my mom and dad taught me, let them talk, but make sure they talk about something really cool. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with being a happy native that you tell people and they say, oh my God, did you meet that one? He's really happy. He's got a different way. Some of us are shy. Some of us are angry. Some of us are sad. This is what I am and it's okay. And I think the world I've been opened up to since uh, even starting this role and, you know, come into my uh, indigeneity or whatever you want to phrase it, right? Because I didn't grow up in a a traditional home, but like even now from like speaking of elders and learning teachings, like my family is very traditional. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's a, like very similar to like like up north would be like we, it was a Christian yeah. family. You know, it was just that was just way of life, right? But the roles that my parents took on was like very much the similar of like oh this is like traditional way of thinking, yeah. right? And and all that. Um, and then for me, growing up, uh, tr- traditional teachings was like. A negative thing because the way it was being portrayed of like I was almost shunned for being in a good place already yeah and but then it's through you and other people that have inter- been introduced to tradition more and and it's people that have lived a life with it and you, I, I think I kind of go back to the maybe those people that were telling me that were so new to it still yeah well I think there's I think people in an effort to make sure we know where we come from they talk about historical stereotypes but there's also new stereotypes and some of us have been listening all our life. Some of us have been practicing all of our life to be better. So allow what you told us to become. And when it gets there, you have to clap more. You have to smile more. You have to say, hey, oh my gosh. Because I, I went to lots of teachings. I went to lots of ceremonial stuff. But this is what it did for me. You know, so we don't have to be one way. We have to be always. And I think everyone in indigenous country is going to have to come to that spot soon because of what's happening in the world. It's evolving at an alarming rate, not by my choice, just the way it is, and how do we keep connecting? Yeah. And I think that's there's ultra there's important right now. There's this way of you, you've kind of taught me and like showed me in the way of like how you look at the view of uh, indigenous timeline of people, right? Yep. And can you explain that a little bit further or kind of talk touch on that, like the beginning? Right, yeah. well, I mean, like for myself, you know, I've heard growing up on the Reds, because I've served on council, I've been on different boards, and people say, oh, he thinks he's, he knows so much, you know, it's like, but I do. I do know some things, you know, and we can't deny that some of us might have more advanced thinking or have a little bit more knowledge about how you treat people is like that if someone's just starting to learn their identity, then you want to show them what you've learned. So it's, it's like a commercial, right? McDonald's not going to tell you to get down here and buy our frickin' burgers. They're not going to scold you to come and buy burgers. They're going to say, come on, check it out. we got Big Macs and there's Whoppers, you know. Like, they're not going to scold you first to get you the bee to the honeypot, right? So I've been raised to look at people who are just beginning the journey, whether it's in culture, sports, social, economic, to help them up. Not that I'm way up here, but I do know that I have some uh, additional information that was put in my path and I embraced it. Then you have those ones who are in the middle of the road and they can go this way or that way. So you want to acknowledge that again and allow them to keep learning and share it. So that's that whole idea of remember where you came from, but don't be afraid to look where you're going and what you want to do with it. And I think that speaks to the generational effects we can have. 
You can pass on hatred, you can pass on racism, you can pass on sadness, you can pass on trauma, or you can acknowledge those things, find helpful ways and make that less and better. And I've really tried to be that only because my parents did that for me. And my mom, in whatever way she knew, she taught it to me. So for me, I thought, I want to be that. And that's what I'd like Turtle Concepts to be, you know, and to help other people find that. So if you're just beginning, come to my sessions and you'll feel alive. And if you're way ahead of the game with more knowledge, more experience, don't mean you're better. Just same, same response. Cool. Yeah. Cool if you're beginning, cool if you're in the, middle, in the middle, and cool if you're advanced. Cool. Now, uh, is there, do you see, because you've worked in a lot of schools, do you see that there's a stagnant position in terms of indigenous education, in terms of like even programming that they do in a lot of places, like in terms of like, like for me, I just remember like, it's like I was, for me, I, I actually grew up with culture not realizing, right? Because it was so embedded even in elementary school. And then, but it's, it's almost like it's still there. And, but it's, it, again, I feel like it's still at that beginning stage. And, 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 and I think a lot of people are struggling with like, in terms of educators, they're like, what, well, what's going on? Like, why isn't I, this I, working more? But it is working, obviously, because yeah. there's more success rates and everything. But still, I think there is sometimes we get caught up in just not getting past it. I think it's part of that is the fear to admit you know a little bit more or you know a different way, right? Because the minute you say that publicly, oh, there they go again, oh, them, you know? And we can't deny that some people will be really good with technology. Some people are really good on the land. Some will be good with the language. Some will be good with socialization. Some will be good at teaching. So when we as Anishinaabe people come into being who we really are, it's hard to sound proud because we hear humble. But I was always told that humble doesn't mean you can't be proud. You know, try going for an interview and not being proud and saying what you're good at. Um, try going to ceremony and not denying that, oh, that one is a good hunter, oh, that one, you know, really knows the language of So I just think we're not caught up in schools and stuff with the fact that there's a time and a place for beginners to learn because they're brand new. Then there's a time and place for those to share. So there's educators or wisdom, knowledge keepers, advanced. Then there's those just learning. So, but no one wants to talk that through sometimes because the fear is what people will say and a negative response, a joke, stops people who are advanced from wanting to share more than me because, like, okay, that's not what I meant. But then if you're starting to shine and someone hasn't shined, they're going to think you're outshining them, but it's not. I am allowed to shine. I'm allowed to be me. And let me tell you and listen to how I did it and maybe it'll impact you. And if it don't, well, keep going till you find someone who allows you to find your shine. And I think that's what I tried to be and, and it works for many. And, some don't get it, and that's okay. But I am allowed to shine and be my good mind, good self, good way. You know, that, that to me is Bamadzawin. And I think the school systems are coming into that now. Because we've done so much in Indigenous country and Indigenous education to get to another level. But it's now to have public conversation about that. And just kind of back onto that point too, that same point of like the education sector. But this is not more or less for like the indigenous education sector. This is more of like mainstream these institutions. Like we, mm -hmm. we we're in an institution right now, and and they control a lot of power. And there is some misconceptions, or even there's historical impacts of what education yes. be. So 
um, you know, if, if, if we're speaking to um, institutions or, you know, education administrators, like, what can they do to push indigenous uh, education further? Well, I think we have to be real in the guest speaking circuit. My grandma was a very devout Catholic, and she was truthfully my step-grandma because she had adopted my mom. But she said, when you go shopping, there's not just one can in there. There's a variety of beans, a variety of vegetables, a variety of categories of food. She says, same thing when you go to the bush, there's all kinds of uh, trees. And I would always joke with my grandma because of my hateful self. Like, Graham, you're like a medicine woman. Oh no, she said, it's just a way of life. She'd get mad because she'd show me what Papa used for heart, what Mom gave for colds. Like, she, she had all these medicines, but she says, but that's any culture. She said, any culture has medicinal value from the land because that's what it was a long time ago, she said, you know. So when in our effort to be more, we've not had the great opportunity to be heard about what we knew. Our knowledge was denied by people and whether it was colonization or not. But if you put it forward in a sweet way to the colleges, to the universities, to the, they, they maybe will come in. But if we're going to do blame and hatred first as the approach to get on the platform, I don't think that's going to help us sometimes. So why not sweeten it up, say here's what we like to do, and bring in a variety of speakers. Find beginners and say this is their purpose. Find in the middle of the road and find advanced speakers to bring in and make sure they know how to share so that it's not blameful, so that it's not always um, hard. I know I try to do soft and excitable and people buy in because like, oh, like that was different, you know, and it's like there's lots of us, but not everybody can speak to it. Not everybody that's um, doing good stuff can make a public speech about that. I, I'm a school teacher, you know. I know a lot of good people who have great value, but they don't know how to present it. But they have great value. So, you know, it's to make sure institutions get a collection of ideas and energy on committees. Don't just go with the loudest. Sometimes the loudest might be not the best voice. And we have to know where we are in our own journey. Like, I know where I am in my journey is pretty good. You know, and where you are and where anybody else is, wherever they are in their journey, make sure you have a collection of those when you bring them into educational institutions because they're going to have an impact on people. And in my company, I try to bring in a variety of guest turtles all the time from different spectrums and different areas and locations, and you see the connection. And the connection is, we're ready for more, how are we going to make more look, and how are we going to make more act? It's important to know that today, for sure, in the educational stream. What, for you, have had all these experiences, you're a teacher, Trail Concept is 20 plus years. Yep. Like, y y your work is with First Nation youth, that's, that's where your wheelhouse is and that's where your heart is. Um, what is your, your hope in terms of education for uh, Indigenous First Nation youth going forward in the future? Like, what do you hope to see out of education for them? Well, I hope to see happier, smiley, friendlier, um, softer, tender, excitable uh, Indigenous youth who participate in real-world experiences. I want them to be able to go and be their true self. So if you come from a remote community, come down and share what you do in a remote community. Because it'll be fascinating for the city mouse will think that's, oh wow, that's like crazy, how do you do that? You know, so I want the remote to come into the city and be excited about where they come from. But I also want those that are urban-based and near to cities to understand what the remote is like 
and often they don't because you don't you don't see that where there's no store, there's no mall, there's no but they're still going, so maybe their mall is the Discovery Channel because it's real life bush. You know, we always joke when we go on these little planes at Turtle Concepts, what's on the movie today? And the pilots will say, oh, it's uh, the Nature Channel again. You know, so we look out the window and that's what we're watching. We're watching real swamp, real trees, real whatever. So I want students in schools to come forward and be their real self and find proper skills, proper techniques, proper supports to be your real self nowadays. No longer do you have to come in and be worried or cautious as much as our ancestors had to be. Now you can be your real self because there's so many positive supports. Our people have put so much effort into making this a safer, better journey, but it doesn't mean it will be. So combined with that is to have the confidence to seek support, the confidence to speak out, the confidence to know the difference between right and wrong, the confidence to not set yourself up. Because we all hear the news. We're very conscious of missing an indigenous women, what's happened up in Thunder Bay. Our kids need to have great skills and great confidence to be their real self to protect themselves physically, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. And I would love to keep contributing to that for students, but also to have fun. Go to Drake, go to concerts, get a Michael Kors purse, get yourself an old tobacco pouch, you know, like, Get yourself a miniskirt, get yourself a jingle dress. Know when to do that and how it looks, you know, and, and be your real self with it. Balance. And I, I was called balance, but I don't, I don't speak to it like that. It's called be a good person, you know, and good people want to allow others to be good. And I think that would be a cool thing if we can get there. Now, obviously, you're not at the end of your journey, but like the point that got you here, is there anyone that like, is there people in your life that was the most influential if this is like, your way of like thinking of like who would it be? Well, I think it's the people who naysayed me for being fair and excitable and happy. Like they made me have to rethink, right? So the bullies um, to the ones who questioned this version of this Nishnabe, I thank them because it made me really think about what I am and who I am and how I want to be and Obviously my parents, because they were teens. I think they went with what most people should use as a guide. It is your heart first, and then your mind has to come into it, and then how you speak it. So definitely my naysayers, and some of them were family. Some of them were even friends. Most of them were native, who didn't understand this version of indigenous. and. Uh, Thanks to them for making me speak my truth, be myself, and uh, tell the rest of the world that this is okay. You know, so I'm very thankful for that. Do I wish it would have been different? Well, yeah, who, who wants to defend themselves all their life, you know, for, for being happy or for being excited or for dancing or for being creative? Like, that shouldn't be something you defend, that should be something embraced. But I think it's coming. And I think we could speed that process up way more if we learned how to respond to change better. If you had to give students that are coming into school, whether it be post-secondary for the first time or maybe even coming back for like, what is your piece of advice to them like, to be successful when coming to school? Well, this almost sounds like my Miss Universe question, you know, yeah. for world peace, <laughs> but I would say 
be real. Don't deny what you've been through. Find someone real to talk to and then say it and then watch what happens. And now with diversity as a platform, now with indigenous centers doing way more, now with the variety, be conscious of what you present to people. So don't be afraid to smile. Don't be afraid to be excited. Don't bring the res behaviors that you know you dislike down to your school. Bring the behaviors you want to be successful and watch what happens. So it's sort of like that saying, you know, you'll get out of life what you put into life. But I realize we've been raised to be cautious and to be aware and to know what we've been through. But no, if you're going to school, you are already doing what we want. You are changing it. You are making it better. You are reinventing history. You are creating new stereotypes. So add to it the best way. And if you're that strong Stokes type, well, be that, but soften it up. And if you're that over the top, be conscious that some people don't know how to handle that. So find the balance of what you are and be real to people. And you'll find other cultures will connect. I know for me that's what has worked and it's, it's easier to sleep. Get to be myself. People still roll their eyes. I even roll my eyes at myself sometimes. But you'll find a connection with people and that's, to me, is the importance of surviving school, surviving change, and getting it done. Awesome. Well, thank you. I appreciate it as always. Uh, so that's uh, that kind of is it for this uh, this time and uh, we'll uh, excited to have you again here uh, in the future. Thank you. Cool. Miigwech. Thanks.